Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Today's beatitude is is going to be a challenge uh, to our allegiance, challenge toward allegiance to Jesus, which is a challenge we all need to hear, particularly considering the climate of American Christianity in our day. Uh, Many people are trying to do something to Jesus that he simply will not allow for, use him turn him into a helpful accessory to our lives. You hear this in the way many Americans share their testimonies. It goes something like this. I was really unhappy. I was unsuccessful. I was failing in life. But then I met Jesus. Now my life is great, and he can do the same for you. This way of thinking obviously is most explicit in prosperity preaching where it is quite literally, I I once was broke, but Jesus has now made me rich or something like that. But in more subtle forms, it's everywhere in American Christianity. Jesus gave me my dream family. Jesus made my business a huge success. Stories like this. It's subtle, but what's happening there is Jesus is a helpful accessory to give you what your heart really wants, which isn't actually Jesus, but what Jesus can provide. If your heart truly wants Jesus, life actually tends to get harder, not easier. You know what would really throw a wet blanket on American Christianity? If the Apostle Paul showed up to share his testimony. So imagine your stereotypical American megachurch, thousands of people gathered to hear an uplifting and pragmatic message about how Jesus can improve your life. This week, we've got a guest speaker. Instead of a celebrity Christian coming to share how Jesus has made his life a huge success, this time it's the Apostle Paul. Paul comes out, says, I was so successful, respected in my community, one might even call me a celebrity, highly educated, wealthy, prominent leader. I had it all. Incredible life. And then out of nowhere, on the road to Damascus, I meet Jesus. And he ruined my life. Destroyed my life. I lost everything. My money, my fame, my family, my friends. That Jesus, he sure can ruin things. And then get this, he told me I get to spend the rest of my life suffering for him. I was persecuted, beaten, stoned, Shipwreck, starvation, arrested, killed, and he could do the same for you. 
Isn't that right, Peter? Peter walks out. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. My name's Peter. Jesus ruined my life, too. Showed up one day, going happy, going about the family business. Told me to drop my nets, leave my family, friends, business behind, and follow him. Got me crucified upside down. So we're here to tell you, living proof Americans, if Jesus can ruin our lives, he can ruin yours too. I'm joking, but I'm not. Jesus will not play a supportive role to the worldly ambitions of our hearts. Jesus will rule your heart such that his ambitions become, his ambitions become your ambitions at whatever the cost. This is the invitation before us in this beatitude this morning. Let's look at it together. Again, kingdom posture, kingdom promise. Here's the posture of those who belong to his kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, this is a difficult one to interpret because of the way we think of the word pure. When we uh, tend to think pure, we, we think of it as uh, moral cleanliness. So this would be saying, blessed are the clean in heart, uh, the morally undefiled heart. That's actually not the emphasis here. Uh, it, it certainly includes that. A, a pure heart will inevitably produce that, but that's not the emphasis. To understand how purity is spoken of biblically, it helps to think of how we use it for other physical things. So take gold, for example. When we say pure gold, we are saying that it is 100% gold with no defilements. Now that pure gold can be dirty or even blemished, but the gold itself is pure. When we think about biblical purity, we tend to think about the dirt and the blemishes. It's actually talking about the substance of it. So a pure heart is speaking of wholeness of heart, an undivided heart. Not one part belonging to this and one part belonging to this, but a united heart purely devoted to God. This is why in our Old Testament reading, the psalmist asks, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The answer is the one who has a pure heart, and then this, who does not lift his soul to an idol. A pure heart is one without the division of idolatry. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he is talking about devotion to him and his kingdom. Blessed is the one whose heart, which in the Bible is our inmost being, our truest self. Blessed are those with hearts purely devoted to Jesus. And yes, this undivided allegiance, this undivided heart is the expectation of the kingdom. Again, let me speak very clearly to a culture that has created a brand of Christianity that allows for divided loyalty to Jesus. Jesus is an all-or-nothing invitation. He refuses to be a part of your life. He will, however, be your life. So if you think of your life, if you think of your heart as a pie chart, we tend to say, well, you know, one section is uh, my job or my family, my social life, my hobbies. And yes, part of that is Jesus, of course. Jesus is the religious part of my life who helps me in these other areas of life. Jesus will have none of that. He is the chart. You can have him as king of your whole heart or you cannot have him at all. These are his terms. And this is why a pure heart for Jesus often ruins our life, as I said in the introduction. 
He ruins what we want with what he wants. He's in charge. He gets to tell us what to do, and he gets to tell us what not to do. He gets to disagree with us. He gets to disagree with our lifestyle. He gets to divide family and friends. He gets to change our plans. He gets to bury our plans. He gets to ruin our comfort and determine our schedules. He gets to tell us what to do with money. And he certainly gets to tear down any idol competing against his ownership of our hearts. He now owns our life. And every step of the way, the pure in heart say to the master of their hearts, Thy will be done. Now, wait a minute. I thought this was a beatitude. Doesn't it say blessed are the pure in heart? This doesn't sound like much of a blessing. If Jesus ruins our life, so to speak, then how can it be a blessed life? Well, let me ask you something. Would you describe life with you in charge as a blessed life? When the human heart is captive to the idols of this world, has that ever, ever, one time turned out well for anyone? The great irony of American prosperity is how utterly miserable Americans are. So what if Jesus needs to ruin things to bless things? What if what we interpret as ruining our lives is Jesus ruining our idols? Quite literally bringing our idolatrous allegiance to ruin so that out of the ruins, blessings might sprout forth. And that blessing is the human flourishing we experience beneath the reign of King Jesus. When the pure in heart discover, what they discover is that when Jesus reigns in our hearts, life is really, really good. Take my heart, for example. Something that tends to uh, compete with Jesus in my heart, something that competes with his supremacy in my heart, ironically, is my service to Jesus, the pastorate. Ironically, is a threat to my pure in heart devotion to Jesus. You see, I'm like a lot of you, and I am tempted to make an idol out of career success. It's just what makes it complicated is that Jesus happens to be my career. This is why pastors get away with vocational idolatry more than any others. It's easy to tell a business person trying to build a financial empire that, hey man, something's off with your life. But how do you tell the pastor trying to reach more people, pastor more hurting people, grow a bigger church, uh, more speaking opportunities to preach the gospel everywhere? How do you tell the pastor whose work is Jesus that workaholism is a bad thing? Well, you should because it is. I flourish as a pastor when I don't need the pastorate. When it's Jesus, not you, not ministry success, not church growth, not people's salvation and sanctification, when it's Jesus who is owning my heart, then I am blessed in ministry. But when ministry itself is holding preeminence, well then, your criticism hurts more than it should. Your praise feels better than it should. Decisions burden me more than they should. 
Problems disturb me more than they should. The slowness of people's sanctification angers me more than it should. And on and on I could go. This is what happens when we allow anything but Jesus to reign in our hearts. And by the way, my testimony, he had to ruin me to get me to see these things. I was on the fast track to becoming a celebrity pastor. Who knows if I had to just pull that off, but I wanted it. I wanted it too much. My heart truly did love Jesus, but it was a divided heart. I wanted to be successful in the name of Jesus. And so that same Jesus, literally right before I was called to be senior pastor of this church, ruined my life. Been thinking about that a lot this week because it was 10 years ago. Uh, right now, that I couldn't get out of bed, let alone Pastor TCPC. Never thought I would preach again. I couldn't. My mind, my, my gifts, my ability to think, write, preach, all these gifts that people tell me I have, they were gone overnight. Simultaneously, the worst and best thing that has ever happened to me. Because Jesus ruined my life, but purified my heart. Such that I can now flourish as a pastor, because the pastorate doesn't own my heart. This is why the pure in heart are blessed. Would you like a blessed marriage? Love Jesus more than your spouse. You want blessing as a parent? Love Jesus more than your kids. Want to be blessed as a son or daughter? Love Jesus more than your parents' expectations and approval. Be blessed in school? Love Jesus more than grades. Socially, love Jesus more than popularity. Want to be blessed financially? Love Jesus more than money. You know, we, when someone has a lot of money, we, we tend to say they are blessed financially. Let me tell you who is blessed financially. The one who serves God, not money. No matter how much money they have. Brothers and sisters, blessed are the pure in heart. And if he has to ruin things to purify things, then blessed be the name of the Lord. But the biggest blessing is found in what is to come. Let's turn now to the kingdom promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's it. <laughs> they get to see God. That's the big promise. Doesn't seem so special. Well, don't tell that to the pure in heart. For to see God is the singular ambition of their hearts. Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, says the pure in heart. One thing I ask of the Lord. This alone I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's all I want. Every week I dismiss you with a benediction. Latin for blessing. And with outstretched hands, the blessing I offer is not fame or fortune, but that God would make his face to shine upon you. That's what the pure in heart want above all else. The face of God. All these hot takes at the beginning of the pandemic that we would recognize how technology could replace so much of what we do as a society. Those hot takes are now ice cold takes for a reason. I'm thankful for Zoom, but I would be grateful to never use it again. We don't want screens, we want faces. 
We want immediate presence. Because that's how you're made. Lovers can stare into each other's faces for hours on end, not say a word, and it doesn't get old. Well, the Bible is the story of a people who once lived face-to-face with God. Pure in heart, constantly satisfied by the presence of God who owned their hearts. But then tragically exiled from that presence because of sin. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's a constant cry to see God once again. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see your face. It's all over the Old Testament. The one who got the closest was Moses. God calls Moses to lead his people. Moses reluctantly says, okay, I'll do it, but let me see you. God says, "Uh, you can't. No one can see my face and live. But what I'll do is I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed you by. Then I'll take away my hand and you can see my back. But my face shall not be seen. So Moses got a fleeting glimpse of the back of God, but not his face. Because no one can see God's face and survive. The unholy cannot survive the glory of God's holy face. And yet Ezekiel the prophet announces this promise on behalf of God. Thus saith the Lord, a day is coming when I will no longer hide my face from you. How's that? How can sinners again behold the face of God? Well, we are weeks away from celebrating it again. The presence of God returns to man only veiled in flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And that incarnate presence of God has come to purify our hearts and make them ready again for the face of God to shine upon them. Purity of heart is our ambition, but not our reality if we're honest, right? Who among us is holy, purely devoted to God? And try as we may, we can never purify our hearts completely, but Jesus has come to do so. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in God's presence? Again, the passage asks, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, can that be said of you? Are you worthy to ascend the hill of God and stand in his holy presence? Of course not. But Jesus, the one with clean hands and a pure heart, has ascended another hill, the hill of Calvary. And from that hill, this haunting cry went forth, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you answer his question? Song, how deep the Father's love for us answers it like this. How great the pain of searing loss. Think about this. Make his face to shine upon us. That's what we're after. We're after the face of God. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away. I know that line is controversial to the theology police. No, the Trinity was not broken. But yes, subjectively, in his humanity, Jesus was forsaken of God. Why? As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. The Father turns his face away from Jesus so that the glory of his face might shine shine upon us once again. Jesus promised we shall see God. And then Jesus makes it possible to see God. There is one and only one response to that. Jesus, you have my heart. I belong to you. I would like to ask you a question. 
What is Jesus' main competition for your heart? The pure in heart that Jesus describes here are not those who have obtained purity of heart. It's those whose hearts have been captured by Jesus and desire, above all else, to have Jesus alone reign in our hearts. But it's a struggle, isn't it? It is for me. We go about our days navigating these idols, competing for our hearts. Well, I'm asking you to name those idols. What is it for you that tends to creep in on your heart? Name it, apologize to Jesus for it, and then renounce your idol. My prayer for this Sunday has been that it would be a day of reconsecration to Jesus. Give your heart again to Jesus alone. That decision may hurt, maybe even ruin life as you know it, so to speak, but you will never regret it. Back to the Apostle Paul's testimony. So Paul, Jesus ruined your life. Surely you regret meeting him on that road. We don't have to wonder how he would respond. He wrote it down for us. So let me read what he would say to that. He begins recounting how successful and amazing his life was before Jesus Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. We, we think Pharisee's bad, but back then that, that was a celebrity. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It is a very polite translation of the Greek. If you want to know what the Greek really means, you can Google that. I won't say it from the pulpit. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might just gain Jesus. Only the pure in heart talk that way. No regrets. When Jesus ruined my life, he blessed my life because now he is my life. And the promise of this beatitude is you will have what your heart so desperately wants. That same Paul promises this. For now we see dimly, but we shall shall see face to face. And we will. Saints, after a lifetime of longing, a lifetime of struggling allegiance, of again and again dethroning these cursed idols that plague us and reconsecrating our hearts to Jesus, a lifetime of crying out, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I really, really do love, but here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the cry of the pure, pure in heart, and that cry has been heard. The pure in heart will discover that indeed their hearts were sealed by the blood of Jesus for the courts of God's presence. And Revelation tells us what will come to pass. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will see him face to face. You will see him, he will see you, and both will forever love what they see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let me pray.
So reconsecrate our hearts, Lord, prone to wonder. We come into this room and our hearts are at it again, allured away by the idols of this world. Unite our hearts to love you alone. What, whatever it takes, Lord, weed out the idols from our hearts and cultivate a pure allegiance to Jesus. Spirit, we need your ministry, and so we invite you to come and do that work in our lives. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.